everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Recovering Fundamentalist Podcast. We're your hosts, JC, Nathan, and Brian. Hey, we want to thank our sponsors here at the RFP Free Life Soap. Man, they bumped up their discount from 10% to 20% for RFP family. And I just got my order in. It is amazing. I got my new coastal soap, and it smells like the beach in my house. I love it. My wife and my daughters are fighting over the soaps and the different scents. So breaking news on the RFP, I spoke with Miss McCribbin, who is the lady who started Free Life Soap, and she told me that there is a possibility towards the end of this year they're going to be starting a ladies' fragrance line of Free Life Soap. Oh, they should. Dude. For all the husbands to wear, because all the wives wear our soap now, so we'll all be up there like, hmm, this is fantastic. That's a good way to put it, JC. They wear our soap. They wear the, we wear soap. It's like. It's on us. It's a part of who we are. I love it. That's why Parabomb Free or whatever that says on there is important, right? Absolutely. (laughs) I obviously don't know about that. Free Life Soap, check them out today at The Recovering Fundamentalist. Org. We also want to thank J Radio, the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Brian, Nathan, and myself are going to have our own playlist on there. Brian, have you done your playlist yet? Yes, it is finished, and the songs are fantastic. I, I introduce some of the songs. I share why they're meaningful to me. This playlist is fire, and if people want to really be close to fire. God, they'll skip over both of your playlists, <laughs> and they'll go straight to mine they'll get saved on ours and then go to yours challenge accepted how much Barry Manilow did you put on there (laughs) (laughs) David Bowie that's probably the worst thing anybody ever said I don't even know a single Barry Manilow song come on you gotta know one Barry Manilow song I really don't I I don't either but just figured I'd throw it out there J Radio check them out today you can download the Apple and Android app and uh, we're real excited to be part of the J Radio family. Hey, we also want to thank Podlife.house. Have y'all checked out this website? It's amazing. It makes me want to buy a track of land, have a driveway three miles long, and live in the middle of it in a pod house and, and answer fewer text messages and emails. <laughs> so our new yard back down in Statesboro where we're getting ready to move, we got an acre lot, and it's fenced in, and it's incredible. And, you know, we homeschool our six kids because we have a small daycare at the house. And I told Kim, I said, like, we need to get a pod life house and put it in the backyard and put, like, a school back there in the back. I think she's actually thinking about it, y'all. Pad the walls. Put an air conditioner in it. And when they're not doing school, I could in. put a sick man cave back there. Just be like, I'm going to school. Recording studio, hello. I got to do that because the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast is not ending just because I'm moving to Statesboro. That's right. We're just right. getting started. Oh, we are scratching the surface the of where we're going. To come. This is episode number 28, and the best is yet to come. Speaking of the best is yet to come, I can't wait to finish this episode out. It's going to be amazing. So last week was part one with Ken Scop, and we're about ready to jump right back into it. Let's go for part two of Ken Scop. Y'all ready? Yes, sir. Let's go. Three. You know what makes women stupid is college. Jesus was not a bartender. Hi, man. Two. You have lost your mind. Long tongue heifers have given me a lot more trouble than heifers wearing breeches. And you know that. Say amen right there. One. Let me tell you something, bozo. They'll be selling frosties in hell for this boy of Patron. 
sucked my thumb till I was 14 years of age. I'm mad! Could you speak to people in our audience who have been affected by abuse and people who have been on the other side of what your dad was convicted of and and speak into that because I know your heart and where you stand on this. Yeah, it was it was an amazing thing for me when someone told me one time um, to pray for justice to be done because that was just not something on my list of things to pray for. And and there needs to be justice for the victim. Um, it, you know, too many churches are letting attorneys run their church. Yeah. And, you know, we trust the Lord with the church until we start worrying about our name. And, and mm. ultimately what, what some people, not everyone, it's a big ministry, so I don't, I'm not painting everyone's attitude, but, but what many people at, in my home church began to believe was they started to treat the church like it was this great tradition, kind of like Notre Dame football. Yeah. You know, we've got yeah. to save the tradition. We've got a bad coach, so let's get a new coach in and let's restore the brand. And it became a lot more about restoring the brand. And, you know, man, my dad just blew that up. You know, you can't restore that brand. And, and you know, you, you better make it about Jesus because you try to save the brand and make it about another man. It's, you know, it's not going to work. Mm. And, you know, so but that, that, was, that was, I think, a lot of the reasoning behind. And, and that was the advice that was given as well. I mean, the, the attorneys and the organizations in the 50s and 60s, that was the culture. And that's why we see it with Paige Patterson. We see it with Southern, old school Southern Baptists because that was the line. And, and so it wasn't something that my grandfather thought of himself, like, we're going to defend the church. This is our strategy. But it was the common strategy of we got to protect the church's name and we don't want to drag the name of Jesus through the mud. But you're destroying individuals. And I thought Jesus, he left the 99 and went for the one. Wow, and so, yeah. you know, I don't think he was worried about his name when he became sin for us and despising the shame, he endured the cross. And so we've worried too much about protecting his name, but we're worrying on the wrong end. If we're going to protect his name, where's the accountability? Yeah. If we're going to protect his name, then let's throw out the Pretty traditions of, of celebrity church. You know, we can't criticize televangelists and then have college head slash pastor um, heroes in, in our movement, every movement's got them. Every movement's got their celebrities. But if we're talking about the movement we grew up in, then let's just be honest. We care too much about the name uh, that's underneath that pastor, president, wow. chancellor, letterhead. And, and so we've become obsessed, and we're setting them up for failure, and we are feeding their ego. And we're also feeding our flesh because we're being distracted from the Lord Jesus Christ. We're being distracted from a healthy relationship. We're glorying in somebody else. We're adoring somebody else. And we're not worshiping Jesus. And we also criticize what worship is as well, but that's another rabbit trail. Um, but, you know, I think that that's, a, that's a, an enormous mess in, in the movement. You have left the independent fundamental Baptist movement. You are no longer in that movement. Is that correct? Yes. And so from your perspective, what would you say are the fundamental flaws of the fundamentalist movement that either why you left or even looking on from the outside, what you would like to see corrected, if there is the possibility of people correcting this movement? Well, I think that, one, you, you know, it's important to clarify that I left the movement. Um, I'm friends with a lot of independent Baptists sure. who have a fundamental approach to Scripture. Me too. Sure. And we just, we've let people, you know, we've, we've let some extremists take, that, take those titles and take those words from us, and, and that's fine because the, the Lord never labeled the church with those names anyways. He never, Jesus never told us to be a fundamentalist, right? He just, he just said, follow my words, right? Yeah, that's right. And, and love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And 
So, you know, I'm not, I'm not married to these terms. And, and I think that that's, that's a big issue, you know, and that, that, goes, that goes with the King James. You know, the tradition there is, is a huge thing. There's a lot of fear of man. And people are just holding on to it. And there's made up, there's made up stuff that, that's called doctrine and entire fallacies that are built around protecting terms or protecting our, our traditions. And just as some people in my home church, again, not everybody, treated the church like it was a great tradition, there is this great tradition that is the IFB movement that people want to protect. And that's not the only part of Christ's body. And man, what a revelation it was for me to just be able to be fed by other parts of Christ's body and to see the diversity and the, the broadness of the body of Christ. And that, that to me is, was eye-opening where I realized that though I am Baptistic in my theology, though I am independent in my ecclesiology, though I am fundamental in my approach to Scripture, I want nothing to do with man-centered Christianity anymore or a man-centered tradition that claims to be Christianity. I don't want anything to do with guys who sue their home churches and sue their own kids for, uh, for money. I don't want anything to do with guys who bicker about who could be the next Jack Hiles because that's ridiculous. I don't want yeah. guys who hold conferences for the dead Jack Hiles as memorials <laughs> and, uh, and cover up sexual sin. Uh, I don't want guys who are led by attorneys instead of led by the Spirit with how they run their church. Uh, I don't want anything to do with that. And because I don't see it as authentic, and I don't see it as scriptural. And I love those men. Many of the people I'm talking about, I've had dinner with, and I know them well, and I understand their fear, and I understand their blindness. And you know what? I understand their pride because I've been there before. But, but pride is pride. Call it out for what it is. And if they want to repent, then hallelujah, do it, and get right with the Lord and come out. Um, but, you know, I, I don't want anything to do with that movement. The movement is decaying, and, and there are some really healthy, old-fashioned, cultured Baptist churches who may use that term. And you can be an old-fashioned Baptist church. Your, your song selection can be dated, and, you know, your new song, the next new song you have, once it reaches 20 years of age, you can use it. If that's your style, then, and your church is growing, you're seeing souls saved, and you're discipling them, and it's about Jesus and not about any one particular person in the church, then hallelujah. Let's, uh, let's, let's support it and, and see them as brothers and sisters. And if they can have a healthy church culture that everything they do is 20 years old because they want to wait to see if this is lasting, that's fine. That's their, that's the, that's between them and the Lord. But, uh, I don't. I don't want the um, the good old boy um, political. Uh, I canceled you because you spoke for him. That kind of stuff. That, that that's that that's something that I'm not interested in. So yeah, I, I left the movement, but the terms are still still have meaning to us because. And, and I always thought the movement was bigger than than the names that were mentioned. I remember talking to a historian about this, and I said, "Where do you fit John Piper in the I in the independent?" Baptist world. And he said, I don't. I said, well, he's Baptist. He's independent. He started his own college. He's a big name. I think he fits into the movement. <laughs> so does John MacArthur. Uh, they, they, are, they fit the mood. Well, they're not King James only. Well, then, then we're, we're the King James only IFB movement then. Yeah. I guess that's, a, that's, that's exactly thing. right. Hey, so I want to take it to a different level. Uh, a lot of people listening are wondering, you know, what's Jack Scop's life right now? I mean, he's sitting in prison and your relationship with your dad now um, what does that look like? And also touch on grace and forgiveness. What does that mean to you and how has that changed over the years as your dad and your relationship has continued to develop? Yeah, I was, I was uh, as, a, as a, a child and teenager, pretty close to my dad. And then though we worked in the same ministry, it was big enough and there were separate campuses that we did not remain as, remain as close during that season. And again, I was really... I had a heart for the Lord, but I was also incredibly ambitious and proud and, and, and had my own struggles. Um, 
you know, there was a, a stronghold of, of sexual sin in the ministry because of cover-ups that were 40 years old. And so I'm, I was battling. And I praise the Lord for a godly wife who, who we could just talk and, and able to that got able to move forward and get victory in Christ. Um, so that my eyes were kind of off what was happening, as, as I said, and just, just a little distracted from, from the meltdown and the severity of it. But because of my struggles and because of God's mercy in my life, when my dad fell, for lack of a better term, I didn't hate him. Um, I was angry at him, but um, I knew I needed to love him. And I, and I really, really saw him as broken, but I had already seen myself as broken. And I think that that's something that was missing in, in a lot of the movement is we, we, all, we forgot how to live out the gospel. And we, we don't see ourselves as broken people that need to live in Christ after our salvation experience. And um, so I think because the Lord allowed me to see that, uh, you know, I was able to love him and not be angry or not be bitter for the most part. But um, as, as, as things have gone on, I've, I've struggled with forgiveness and wrestled with it. I feel like I'm able to help a lot of friends with forgiveness because I don't have a heart in it. You know, so I can sit back and say, this is what you need to do. Mm. Uh, R.T. Kendall's book, Total Forgiveness, has really helped me uh, among many others. But, you know, one thing he says is when you've forgiven someone, you don't bring up how they hurt you anymore. And um, when someone disappoints you or frustrates you on ongoing or reopens old wounds, it is uh, it is so difficult to 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 continue in forgiveness. And I've also learned that people don't repent the way you want them to. Um, uh, you know, Jesus died not just for my sins and not just for your sins, but he died for your sins against me. The ways you hurt me, Jesus also paid for that. And when I choose to forgive, I'm allowing the cross of Christ to be enough, not just for their, your offenses of God's law, but the offenses I feel against me. And I've got to trust Christ with that. And he's got to be the place where I go to forgive. And and so <laughs> I, I I wrestle with that because it's difficult. And, and going from really idolizing and adoring your pastor, father, Christian hero, to um, wanting him to say what he's not saying is, is a significant challenge. Mm. And as, as far as I can tell, loves the Lord and um, will get out at some point in the next two years. And, you know, I've, I've tried to tell him, like, the culture right now, it's, it's not pretty um, for a person such as yourself getting out. And um, I know that in many, for many people, he is a name that represents all that is wrong yeah. with fundamentalism. And his is a name that, um, that just triggers people. Yeah. And, you know, I've got a few people in my family like that, <laughs> the names that trigger people. And, you know, that's okay. Um, it was a revelation for me as a, as a you know 28 year old after I was no longer Jack Scott's son and proud of it, but I was a prisoner's son when Jesus reminded me that you know he and I shared the same dad, and Abba Father became pretty real to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and sonship with the King sounds really good um, after after you've experienced that just brokenness of identity. And so I've got to be able to take that then and turn around though and still honor my dad and love him, and um, that's complicated. You know, I don't, I don't know how else to, you know, uh, he's going to get out and I'm, I'm continuing a relationship with him and we can't visit because of COVID right now. But, you know, I love him and I, I, I lament the lack of accountability that was there for him that led to a fall. And I lament the lack of restoration and love 
uh, you name me an IFB big name and they haven't written a letter that I've seen. When he got out after the first year, I got all of his letters in a trash bag that the, the jail gave me. So either he threw their letter away or he didn't keep it with the other 2,000 letters. Um, very few of his close staff members have written him at all. Um, and that's you know, it's disappointing. And I get that, that, that they're hurt. But, um, you know, you hear spiritual restore such an one, mm-hmm. you know, and there's no restoration. But maybe that's just a sign there's no spiritual people uh, in many of those positions. Um, uh, that was a hurt son speaking. Sorry. But, you know, I, uh, I, I struggle with that. I see politics and we're distancing ourselves right away from this man. And we never knew. I mean, we preached for him, but we never knew him anyways. And we knew he was going wrong before everything happened. And it's like, no, his own wife didn't. And, and, and I didn't. And, you know, you didn't know it either. Uh, you're distancing yourself because you want to be able to pick up all the lost students from Hiles that are going to go to your college. And um, that's uh, that's my guess. That's my that's my uh, opinion on it. And back to your earlier question, why have I left the movement? Well, I mean, it's just it's seeing how they treat the fallen mm. uh, and treat the broken. And you know what? That's how they treated my dad. I've been loved and treated very well. And I think probably some people they're treating they're they're being kind to me because they don't know what to say. But, you know, how many times as pastors have we been put in situations where we don't know what to say, but we've got to speak? Yeah. Not knowing what to say can't be an excuse to, you know, just to just push it off. I thought that was why it was expedient for the Holy Spirit to come to us, because he'd help us. He'll guide us and walk us through these things. So um, we should be able to, to be able to, to find the right words. And man, apparently the Lord had something for David to be able to move on. And the Lord has had something for many broken Christians to, to be able to pick up the pieces and, and maybe, you know, they won't go back to the position they were in before. Uh, and, 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 and I believe in most cases, you know, many of these cases we're talking about, they've disqualified themselves from that position, yeah. but they haven't disqualified themselves from, from being fruitful for the Lord in some capacity and restoration is needed. So I, I, I lament, I grieve the, the lack of restoration that's in the movement. You know, Ken, you said earlier in your conversation, as a matter of fact, right up front, all that was against your dad. Uh, there was the burden of living under the weight of being not only son-in-law, but being the pastor who followed Jack Hiles. He was expected to be a duplicate. He was not. And then all the battles he was facing and, and all that was going on with the debt and everything else that you've mentioned. You know, I often wonder who pastors the pastor? Who do pastors go to that allows them to be 100% honest. And if we viewed accountability as a prevention crew versus a cleanup crew, how would that completely alter the end result of a lot of situations like the one your dad's lived through? So, you know, I just hear you talking and I, I think, I think in a lot of ways he was in a desperate situation. I'm sure he was personally. Uh, none of us could, probably imagine the weight he was carrying what he was living under the fears that he was facing and you know satan doesn't come to us on the first day of the fast he shows up on the 40th day he waits until we're the weakest and strong men fall and i love this conversation about restoration i think it's beautiful um first corinthians chapter eight there were the mature believers who were strong And then there were the weaker believers. And yet Paul referred to the weaker ones and he said, you know, Christ died for them. The weak and the strong, 
belong to Jesus. And uh, I appreciate your approach to that. Um, we don't know what restoration will look like. Uh, there's no way of knowing that. But uh, I do appreciate the fact that you're able to still love your dad and uh, have conversations with him and at least even mention the word restoration. Uh, I think that's a powerful testament to what Christ has done in your heart. Yeah, I think that we're being challenged on the power of the gospel. You know, the independent Baptist movement's hung its hat on soul winning and the gospel, but I, I feel like the incredible failure is the back door of the gospel where we live it out. And, you know, without the accountability, without the restoration, you can't live out the gospel. And so, you know, we, we make such a big deal at the front door saying God can save anybody. He can save anybody. And I don't care where you come from. And, and one of the things I got to see in Hammond is I got to see people from all different classes. And my grandpa was sometimes too blunt about telling me that the lady up front had been a prostitute and had gotten saved. And but from the look of her, I was a little worried um, that, uh, <laughs> that there was some, some discipleship still needed. Um, but, you know, I got to see people saved but, and hear about the power of the gospel. But what about the power of the gospel for the fallen? And at the same time, what about the power of the gospel for the victim? You know, we're, we're, we're ignoring the victims and not letting um, th- that love and that justice. Jesus died on the cross. That was justice. He had to die. That was required. The blood was needed. And um, so we're, we're missing out on this side of it. If the gospel has power, then let the power go all the way through the church. Don't let it just be with the unchurched who come in the front door, but let it be with the fallen pastor. He may not return to his church as a member, but let him find a place where he can be loved and be restored. And let's let the gospel call of repentance to a, the lost person become a gospel call of repentance to uh, a, a broken believer. Let's allow them to repent. Let's have a process of repentance and restoration. And, you know, where is that? And and I think it's it's because we're, we're so busy protecting our image um, that we're not willing to get dirty with, with the person who's, who he really is just going to bring a mess. And, and I think it is sad, you know, those, those people, there are a few people who are trying to help the messy ones and, you know, they get outed. Like you let this person attend your church and well, he's got to go to church somewhere. Um, there's got to be a place where he's allowed to be restored. And if, if he's a registered sex offender, then I get it. He needs to go to a adult men's only church. You know, there are ministries for that, but there's got to be places. There's got to be more of that. And, and yeah. we can't uh, label every believer by the worst thing we know about him, you know? And, and I think that's because we're lacking restoration where we, we remember people by, by their sin while proclaiming the redemptive power of the gospel on the other, out, out of the other side of our mouth. Mm, man, that's good. So, Ken, you know, talking about restoration and, and people having opportunity to vent, because you also mentioned the victim, and, you know, we can't underestimate the grief and the life impact of the victim. Well, there's a lot of victims that often go unmentioned, and that's the pastor's kids. You know, I had a pastor's son call me not long ago, and talked about the beatings that he and his sister received. Hmm. And, you know, he told the story of one night having to leave the house, and no matter how far away he went, he could still hear his sister screaming. But then they had to go to church the next Sunday, 
and that man stood up and preached and they had to act as if he were the greatest, most godly man ever. So often the pastor's kids are victims too. And I know uh, that one of your grandpa's daughters came out. She made a recording that was simply her sharing her story. And I know she had a lot of open doors, I'm sure, because of the fame of your grandpa. But I listened to her recording and I, I knew I was witnessing a heartbroken woman. Well, I grew up outside of Chicago and my dad pastored actually a wonderful church there that through the years evolved into a 50,000 member cult. It operated and still operates under the guise of an independent fundamental Baptist church. But those who have left, the followers who have tried to leave, the outsiders, even the media, who was on 2020 last year, recognize that it's clearly a cult. Every member was in complete obedience to my father. They didn't dare disagree or be disloyal for fear of being publicly ridiculed or punished or banished for doing so. They didn't go on a vacation without asking my dad's permission. And if he had said to drink the Kool-Aid, I'm not kidding, they would have. My dad lived a double life, one of a righteous family man and dynamic speaker in the public eye, but one of sordid sexual secrets privately, secrets that only my siblings and me and my mom knew. He hated my mom, hated her, treated her terribly, abused her, and even turned his own children against our mother. We hated her. He told us she was crazy. We thought to make him happy, we'd hate her too. Our home was filled full of turmoil, hatred, stress, strife. And as a little girl, it was isolating, it was intense, and it was frightening. He had affairs, <laughs> he had a mistress for many years, the wife of a Sunday school teacher, built her family a beautiful home right around the corner from our house. You could see their family from our back door. It was, it was craziness, living one way, preaching another. My brother, my older brother, he became another version of my father. He took a, he pastored a church in Texas, was found to have been having affairs with 14 different women, um, divorced that current wife, married one of the 14, my father tried desperately to cover it up, moved him to another church where he was found to have had 17 <laughs> affairs with different women. And he just recreated what he had seen my dad live. And my dad did nothing but cover it up. I felt like I had one main responsibility as a child. <laughs> it was simple, but daunting. And that was to keep all the secrets. And there were so many. You see, he had taught us 
that the best way to please God was to please him because he was God's man. And he taught us that to please him, we had to keep all the secrets. We could never even tell our best friends what went on in our home because we might be the cause of this, the destruction of his ministry. I literally feared for my very life if I ever talked about my dad's ministry or about what went on in our home for fear that it would hurt his ministry. I was so afraid. And the greater the secrets, the greater the fear and the greater my determination to keep quiet. I gotta tell you, the money part of it was pretty nice. As a kid, I mean, think about it. Tithes and offerings from 50,000 people, hello. <laughs> it created a lavish lifestyle for our family. My father owned most of the city where the church was. He owned a college, two high schools, two grade schools, a cemetery, blocks of buildings. He was very wealthy. And even into our adult years, he owned us. He owned our homes, our cars, our furniture. He owned our lives. And we didn't dare cross him because we were too afraid we'd lose everything. He died a multimillionaire. He left nothing to his children. He left everything to the organization which my younger sister and her husband now lead. And they still perpetuate his legacy, the strict rules, the undying loyalty, and they still try to keep all the secrets. I never understood why was I the only one of the four kids so tortured by the hypocrisy, so disturbed by the mind control over thousands and thousands of people, and so determined to find a better life. Why was I the only one that insisted on answers to my questions? And why was I the only one that ultimately broke away and cut ties with the brainwashing, the oppression, the fear, the secrets, and the life that had never been my life. I finally walked away when I was about 28 years of age, then being estranged from my entire family. And I did not see my family again until many years later at my dad's funeral. Can you give some context to that? Was her accounts true? Were were they false? Were they true and false? Was that just her expressing what she had been bottling up for years? Yeah, I mean, first of all, she moved away before I was born. Um, as a young boy, we used to visit the family in, in Texas, and, and uh, I was friends with her son who was my cousin, so we spent time together, and I, those are good memories. So, you know, I, I only have her account, and I have my conversations with my mom, who's been incredibly loving in, in what she has told me about um, the rest of her family. Um, my mom's written a book 
that's uh, that's coming out soon. Um, my journey to grace, uh, finding Jesus in the dark, wow. and it's uh, it's I think it's an awesome portrayal of the mercy of Christ in her life, and um, it's uh, I'm excited about it. I'm excited that she wrote it, but I look forward to getting a copy. But you know, we've talked at length. Um, I haven't pulled any punches with my opinions about my grandpa's ministry to my to my mom and my dad, and you know I have left many of my opinions about it out of the show, um, believe it or not. Um, but you know, I, I think it deserves a hard look, a hard look, you know, you know, something by its fruit, right. And we have seen now this fruit of the old fighting fundamentalists, uh, movement or whatever, whatever it was that, um, that was, that was a part of my grandfather's legacy. And it was, there was mean spirited, um, divisive spirit of strife in a lot of it. And so it's not hard for me to, uh, to be critical of certain aspects. But again, what I've seen of, of my grandfather to me personally was kindness and love. And maybe he played favorites with his children. That's, that's quite possible. And that would explain how one person saw their home this way and another person saw their home another way. And I don't fault my, uh, my aunt for what she has said. I've wa- I haven't even watched the entire TED Talk. I know the gist of the story. I, I, um, man, I love her and, and hurt for her and and totally understand being hurt by her experiences um, because there were some brutal, brutal events that took place in the 70s and 80s um, for, for a few people that knew what was going on. And I think it deeply wounded her. I think it was an incredible amount of pressure. My grandpa was gone a lot. As a father, I think he really hurt his kids by just being gone. He used to tell a story of being a you know, making a decision that he couldn't go to his son's ball games and telling his 12-year-old son, I got to go save America. And, you know, I don't think it helped. I don't think it helped his children um, to make that, uh, that choice. And that was something that my dad and I talked about a lot. And, and, and my parents were involved in my life. And I saw authentic what I, what I thought and, and still believe was an authentic Christianity. Did it have its warts? Yeah, I, I, I've voiced some of the warts that I, that I look back now at the Independent Baptist Movement and see. But every movement has its warts, right? And, mm-hmm. and so we're, we're growing in grace and following Christ. And, and so I, I'm thankful for what, uh, what I saw. And, and I, think, I think she had some valid, valid complaints because there was just an a, a incredible, immense uh, increase in exposure and pressure. Now, the day my dad became pastor, I'd been Jack Kyle's grandson for uh, 16 years. But when my dad became pastor, the pressure immediately ramped up times 10. I was a sophomore in high school, and all of a sudden I felt like my life was on display, and I had a lot of things I wanted to hide. I, I, was, a, I was a struggling sophomore in high school, and uh, I certainly wasn't ready for the pressure and, and traveling around and just being recognized for who I was related to. And, um, man, there's, there's other people in this world who have a whole lot more uh, eyes on them than I did, and I was, I was wilting in some cases under the pressure. So I don't... I don't fault her at all for, for her frustrations or for what she has said. And um, there's validity. There's validity to uh, her, her pain. And uh, there's a lot of truth to her pain. I don't know what, what all details she spills uh, or what scandals she speaks to, but I'm, I'm sure that there is a lot of validity to what she's, what she's feeling. And, and I have no reason to disagree with um, her version of events, uh, only to say that I've heard my mom's version of events, and I've learned that that God only uses broken people, and that sometimes these broken people have some some 
dark hearts and they have some seasons of life that were that are dark and and that are disappointing and and yet he still chooses to use broken people because that's all he has and we can look back and we can look at the brokenness and say they never should have been used but that wasn't up to us you know we're not god thank god and if he didn't use broken people then i wouldn't have a chance um yeah. so so i'm thankful for that and i'm not justifying anything but um you know it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a strange culture um, right now where we're, we're pointing at, at people's mistakes as a reason to erase their names from history. And that's going to really snowball because eventually we're going to find out that no one should have their name written down. And maybe it'll lead to Jesus, but I'm not sure that that's the movement that's being led. But yeah, I, I, I think that that's a struggle. And, and so many victims I'm worried about because they're being pushed out and they're not being given justice, mm-hmm. that all they have is bitterness. Um, because they're not getting the justice and the church that they knew growing up is not defending them. And I'm thankful for the voices that are defending them. Um, but I'm, I'm worried that there's not, there's not enough voices that are, that are speaking out for them and saying, hey, let's, let's seek justice for this person and let's, let's listen to their story, acknowledge their pain, and let them know they're loved and that, that there is um, healing grace from Jesus Christ and there is a place for them in the church. And so some churches are doing that, but many churches are turning a blind eye. And, and so I think if you turn a blind eye for decades, then eventually you get someone like my aunt who's telling her story and saying, I, 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 didn't, I, didn't, I don't feel like I have anywhere to go right now. And um, I think that's how she feels. Thank you for answering that. I know you didn't have to. You could have just blown that question off. I, I greatly appreciate your transparency. I appreciate it. You know, once once the bad stuff's been put on the front page of the paper, um, and uh, it was made national news for a while, then I'm I'm probably too transparent, and uh, I've I've made perfect strangers very uncomfortable sometimes who don't know my story and are like, "Why are you so open?" And I have to step back and say, "My bad." Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned something right there uh, that your mom has written a book that's going to be coming out here in just the next few weeks. Will you give us a little bit more detail about that? Yeah, I've read it. It's awesome. I'm excited. I got to write the foreword for it. My mom is an amazing person. She has been hurt by fundamentalism. Yeah. And not just since 2012, but since the 1970s. And she um, acknowledges some of the mistakes she made uh, in the book. Um, but I'm just excited. You know, it's, it's, it's been uh, an incredible thing to watch her strength when really all she had was Jesus and two kids and their spouses to help. And we had, we were as lost as she was and, and, and as distracted with trying to put our lives back together as she was. And she, she only had the Lord and to, to, to read about the miracles of what God has done to read about what God has brought her through. Uh, it's a special story. Um, and so I'm proud of her and I'm, man, I think that it's going to help a lot of people. Um, my mom wrote from a position of legalism for years um, she was a part of the message of this is how you got to be as a wife. And it, honestly, it was a burden on a lot of women. I've had some pastor's wives from the movement just say, I could never live up to the person that your mom wrote about as mm. the ideal wife. And, but you know, her book, Wife's Purpose was the best selling book of the sword of the Lord for like 13 years. They published the first one and that's because all the pastors were buying it for their wives. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Truth. And, True. and it was, um, 
I, you know, something that she acknowledged after a couple of years is saying, I put a, re- I put a really hard burden on people mm-hmm. to be something and to live up and earn favor. And, you know, again, the gospel wasn't a part of the equation for how to be the perfect Christian, you know, and, and it was, you got to earn God's favor. Grace gets you in and then you're going to have to work and you got to do this and this and this. And if you don't get this checklist Man, done and the way that my mom it talks about her prayer life was I had to cover all the bases. And if I didn't, I lived in fear that something was going to happen because it was really up to me to get through the list and spend enough time and do this. And so it was an exhausting effort uh, at the, at the height of their little, of our little circle, uh, pastor school brand Christianity, you know, she was at the top of it and she was revered, but she had this enormous amount of pressure of trying to earn God's blessing by, uh, by her actions and, and really earn God's favor. And she found herself tormented by fear. She found herself really wrestling with fear because that's the, that's the other side of it is what if I'm not good enough? What if my real identity isn't good enough? What if, um, you know, if they find out who I really am and what if God really looks at who I really am as if he didn't see that when he saved us. And I think that's one of the drawbacks to what we call legalism. Um, it's, it's not works attached to getting saved. It's works, works attached to living as a child of God. Wow. Well, I can tell you right now that there are three people that will be buying that book. And I know a lot of our listeners will want to get that. So please tell your mom that we are thankful to her for doing this and extend an invitation for her to come on the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast because we would love to interview her. And maybe you guys can do another interview together. That would be incredible. But she always has an open invite onto our show. Well, as we start to wrap this up, I want to ask you a question moving out. We warned you about this before. (laughs) Disclaimer. So now that you have been on the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast, you, if you haven't already been, you will be labeled as a liberal, as a compromiser, as a, come on, what names am I forgetting here? Loose lip liberals. Hypocrites. Yeah. So the name, the list go on and on and on. So for yourself, Ken, would you tell us speaking for yourself, what you believe, what is the gospel, and really what should our focus be as Christians? Well, I think that being in this family, the critics of, critics have always been there. And when I was younger, I believed them. And now that um, I'm a little older, I, I see um, that their voices can just be a part of the, the, the echo of voices that, you know, the accuser of the brethren throws out, you know, and if if you don't want to love a brother and you know hate another person based on your made-up pharisaical definition of what a Christian is, what a believer is, then read First John again. Maybe read it in the NLT. It'll help you. But, <laughs> um, you know, if you hate a brother, then the love of God's not in you. And um, it's, pretty, it's pretty clear in the King James, too. So the name-calling and all that, um, I've seen that, and, and I've seen the devil behind it. And I've done it when I was— in the IFB world, I took it personal when people changed. I thought they were changing against me, as if their their decision to follow God was in some way related to me. And it really is a form of narcissism, as you're making someone's decision in their local church about you. But, um, you know, I, what, what, do, what do I believe? I mean, I believe that Jesus is to be preeminent in our lives. And uh, I'm not leaving a movement. I'm trying to create a biblical church culture and not worried about necessarily what other churches are doing. Uh, I want to be a part of uh, what the Lord wants for, for our church. 
And so that means I'm Baptistic in my theology and that I'm fundamental in my approach to Scripture and that uh, we're independent in our ecclesiology. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're fine. Um, and if people who uh, have those, those terms as a part of their movement are upset that I've left, then um, I'm sorry. You know, I think you're a little too worried about, about what other people are doing. Mm. Um, but I, I, I understand it. Uh, I think that the IFB world has a, a massive ignorance problem when it comes to history. And they're stuck in uh, the last 150 years of church history. And then they hijack all the same names that many other movements and denominations hijack. Everybody claims Wesley and everybody claims uh, Moody after that. And, and you know, and, oh, yeah, he's a part of our lineage, too. And um you know, so there's a lot of historical ignorance, which has led to some of these issues. There's a fear of man, and uh, I've just asked God to deliver me from that. Doesn't mean it won't hurt if someone someone gets critical, but the gospel is that we're lost, and that only person who can do anything about it was Jesus, who came as God's sinless Son uh, to restore union between God and man. Ultimately, uh, for now, for the church, with the Holy Spirit living inside of each of us, and what a gift to have God living inside of us, and. Many of my IFB brethren have a new trinity. It's the Father, the Son, and the Bible, and they don't acknowledge the Holy Spirit at all. Um, and that's, uh, that's incredibly disappointing to me. Um, for all of his flaws, I think that uh, among independent Baptists, the John R. Rice and Jack Kyleses were talking about the Holy Spirit to a point that made people uncomfortable in the 1950s and 1960s. Um, but they also were a little cautious and, and nervous. Um, I just finished a great textbook on Baptists and the Holy Spirit, and it's great to see how J. Frank Norris uh, associated with Catherine Kuhlman and then um, uh, a, faith, a female faith healer and then turned around and criticized John R. Rice for doing the same thing. I love that stuff. Um, but uh, the Holy Spirit's played a significant role in the history of Baptists, and uh, I think we've lost the Holy Spirit, and that's why we, that's why we don't have a lot of love in that movement. Um, you don't have a lot of peace. And so people who are run by politics and the fear of man obviously are not bearing the fruit of the Spirit. They don't have the gifts of the Spirit building up their church. And if you're, you know, what gifts? You can take the Romans 12 list and be safe. But, you know, I just think that the, we're, we're struggling with um, having what, get, what Christ gave us. He left so we could be filled with God. And so that's, that's what I believe, that we need to live out um, being led by the Spirit of God so we can build the church of God for the glory of God. And um, if that gets you criticized, well, I think you're in good company. Yeah, and I think also you're going to find out that there's a lot of people that will love and welcome you within the movement. I'm amazed at how many people within the IFB movement have reached out to us personally through email, text, messenger, and said, hey, I don't agree with everything you guys are saying, but love the heart that you're saying it with, love the approach. So I think a lot of people will be big fans of yours after this and people who have left the movement that can say, hey, this guy gets it. A lot of the things you've said are things I think we've been trying to say for 27 episodes, and you just nailed so many of these things, man. God's given you a gift with words, and I love your heart, and I love how you're approaching these issues, and they matter. And Dude, you get it. You speak our language. You came from the same world. I mean, you were at the epicenter of this, and I just appreciate you coming on and sharing your heart with us. Absolutely. And thanks for the opportunity. You made some of the most powerful statements I've heard in a long time. Uh, I'm grateful for having been on the listening end of this interview. And to be honest, you've said so many incredible things. I haven't wanted to say very much at all. Um, 
thank you for everything you shared. Well, Ken, we've really enjoyed having you on the episode tonight. Would you do us a favor? We, we ask our guests at times to just close us in a word of prayer. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Thank you again for the opportunity. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for our stories of brokenness and how ultimately you've used them to glorify your son, Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that this story would be used for your glory. Uh, Lord, I pray that um, pride and ambition would, be, would not be a part of it. I pray that you would help those who've heard who are hurting or that they'd find justice, but ultimately that they would um, be able to forgive and that there'd be no root of bitterness in their life. Lord, I pray that those who are seeking, who, who feel wounded and have nowhere to turn, that you would provide a pathway for them to find hope and find restoration and love. And Lord, I do pray for that group uh, of fallen who also feel like they have nowhere to go and uh, feel like they have very little right to, uh, to be anywhere without, uh, without being reminded of, of horrific sins and terrible mistakes. And God, I just pray for the restoration. I pray that uh, the gospel would be at work through the Spirit in our churches from the, from the front door when a lost person comes in to, uh, to, through, to the back door where uh, people are hurting and don't know where to turn, that we would uh, turn as believers to using the gospel for your glory and listening to your Holy Spirit to do, do wonderful things in, uh, in the church today and in our lives. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity and this privilege and pray that you would uh, bless uh, this show and, and bless the listeners. And we ask this in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. 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 Hey, thanks for being here with us on this episode of the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Hey, we want to thank our sponsors, Free Life Soap, Pod Life House, and J Radio. Thanks for being a sponsor of the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast and our patrons of Patreon. You are the real MVPs. You're what's helping us continue to stay on the air with our monthly overheads and so much more. And we thank you for being a part of that. We've got some big things coming that we're going to be letting you know about here in the next couple weeks. And so stay tuned, like, subscribe, and share. Get the word out. And we will see you next time right here on the Recovering Fundamentalist Podcast. Y'all have a great week. Be sweet. Thanks for listening to the Recovering Fundamentalist Podcast. Be sure to stop by our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Give us a follow. Also, go to our website, recoveringfundamentalist.org. That's recoveringfundamentalist.org. There you can find Recovering Fundamentalist swag. You can get your t-shirts and hats. You can join our ex-fundy community. See where we're going to be having some meetups. It's the recoveringfundamentalist.org. Be sure to join us next time for the Recovering Fundamentalist Podcast.